Hello everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing a film that we both enjoyed recently, Poor Things. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hey, Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Just trying to get through January. It's mid-January now. <laughs> it's finally gotten really cold here. Yeah. Not quite as cold as uh, the Midwest, especially where we mm-hmm. used to live, but yeah. still feels like January. Yeah. The Midwest is supposed to be down in like the negative 40s this week. Mm-hmm. They're having yeah. to cancel a bunch of things, but crazy. I do not miss that at all. It's crazy, too, because Iowa's having its caucus today. So oh, is that today? Mm-hmm. That feels really early. I know. So the temperatures are going to affect how many people are able to make it out to the polls, for sure. Whoa. Yeah. Caucusing is so wild. What Caucusing. a strange process. <laughs> the worst. Literally the worst process. The worst. The worst. I had to stand in a in a gymnasium mm-hmm. in front of my peers <laughs> and neighbors and supervisors at work and stand in a circle with who I wanted to vote for. And I was like, this is kind of humiliating <laughs> in a way. But yeah, so we have a long weekend this weekend. It was lovely. I definitely needed that. Like you said, getting through January is a slog as always. But yeah, I'm happy that it's a long weekend. I spent the entire morning just deep cleaning my apartment. And so I feel very Mm. refreshed and reset and like my life isn't falling apart anymore. So yeah, I'm coming into the week on a high, I feel like. Yeah. And I'll take any short week of work I can get. Very true. Did you do anything fun over the long weekend? Um, nothing too crazy. I got to the movies once, but yeah, it was just so cold. It Mm kind of didn't make me want to go outside too much. Yeah. But I did have one bright spot this past week that gave me the will to go on. (laughs) (laughs) And that was David Ehrlich's 2023 countdown, his annual video that he curates and edits and puts up on the internet, uh, usually on Vimeo, and it has some of the best editing I've ever seen. This year, I think he really outdid himself. He's a film critic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've talked about him on the podcast before. I definitely think I mentioned his review when we talked about Asteroid City, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's definitely one of those critics who's opinions I pay attention to, uh, especially when I have access to it. Yeah. (laughs) And he makes a countdown video of his top 25 favorite films of the year every year. And I absolutely loved his video this year. It was phenomenal and stirring. And I just think it's the best one he's ever done. Mm -hmm. And I really loved his top 25 as well. I thought it was very very cool. And there was even a couple films on there I didn't recognize, but it was really fun to see a lot of stuff that I was familiar with and how he chose to incorporate it into the video. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I've never watched any of his annual videos before, but you sent that one to me last week and it was, 
yeah, it was just a really good highlight reel. I felt like mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's been doing it since about 2012. I want to say. Oh wow! And if you go to his profile on Vimeo, you can see most of the existing ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll link that down in the show notes if you're interested in going to watch it. Yeah, please check it out, especially if you've seen a lot of great films in 2023 and also agree that it was a really good year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, should we get into our topic for the day? Yeah. Um, We're talking about poor things today, and I'll let Remy introduce the nitty gritty of the film, but... This came out in limited release in New York right before Christmas and or early December, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And um, you got to go see it first and I hadn't been able to see it until like a week ago. So I'm looking forward to hearing all of your thoughts on it because you kind of kept all of your thoughts under wraps and mm-hmm. gave me a like very pure viewing experience. So I'm excited to hear what you thought. Yeah, I definitely wanted to give you time to get to see it, but also just the listeners as well, because mm-hmm. I got to see it the first weekend of December, yeah. which was awesome. And I know the widening of the release has been gradual and still not a lot of people have been able to see it, but I am really excited to talk about it. I've been able to see it a second time in theaters as well. And... Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. We're going to talk about the 2023 film Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. It was written for the screen by Tony McNamara and based on the book by Alistair Gray. And Poor Things basically is a sort of a Frankenstein retelling that is set in an alternative Victorian England. And it follows the story of Bella Baxter who is a woman that has essentially been reanimated in a way that requires her brain to go through development again. And so as we plot her developmental trajectory, uh, she's growing up under the watch of her creator, Dr. Godwin Baxter, and his assistant, Max McCandles. And Based on this scientific experiment that's been happening on Bella Baxter, we get to see her entry into the world, uh, and the audience is confronted with the question of what if a woman were allowed to make choices empirically without social shame? And you get to see her navigate social life based on that principle. And so I think that is a really interesting update on that premise. And I absolutely love the way Yorgos Lanthimos executed it. And this is one of my favorite films of 2023. And I've restructured my top 15 list on Letterboxd with some of my recent reviewings. And this is now in the number five position. So I really strongly liked this film, Kat, but I'm excited to hear your impression too. I loved it. I went with Scott the other week and we braved a short snowstorm to go out and see it. <laughs> so I was like white knuckle driving on the way to and from, but it was uh, definitely worth the watch in the theater, I would say. So if you're able to go see it in a theater, I would recommend not waiting for streaming because it was just a really stunning film, just visually mm-hmm. impressive and uh, I just loved 
pretty much every second that was on screen. I was surprised and just enjoying it as a visual artwork in addition to the plot. And I think that some of the things that really stuck with me the most were the costuming and the set design. So the art team was just really, really essential to the movie, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I completely agree. Please see this in the theater on the biggest screen (laughs) you can, because it is one of the most visually distinct films of the year. And the director of photography, Robbie Ryan, did an incredible job. And his collaboration with Yorgos, I found extremely unique, not just in Yorgos Lanthimos's filmography, but also in their execution, technically, for how they captured an otherworldly tone to mm-hmm. this movie. Um, so, for example, they switched between a lot of different lenses throughout the film, and they're also changing film stock. So it starts off in black and white, like a lot of 2023 films did, which I thought was an interesting trend, Mm -hmm. but it clearly is tied to the plot in this film. It's a um, deliberate artistic choice, which I think works. But the, the artistry of how Yorgos executed this film, especially in the different shots and the different lenses that he uses throughout, I just absolutely loved. And I haven't seen anything like this all year. And especially on upon second viewing, I was able to appreciate it even more because there's so much information to take in the first time. The second time around, I could pay more attention to what lens is being used and be like, wow, I, this type of shot that I keep seeing is incredible. And I want to know how they did it. I have no idea how they accomplished this look and this shot composition. And I, I love the appearance of this. Mm -hmm. So for example, my favorite shot that kept reoccurring in the film was one where it usually had a single subject, uh, a single person, like a, a portrait shot. But, and they were in focus in the foreground of the shot and in the background of the shot, it was totally soft focus, but it was circular in nature. So not the fisheye or Mm -hmm. porthole shots that are very noticeable, but this is like a full frame shot, but the background is soft focus and circular, kind of like a halo Mm. of out of focus things. And I can't wait for this to come out on digital so someone can make a compilation of just those shots that Mm -hmm. occur because they're absolutely gorgeous and I loved them and I want to learn how they did that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like while I was watching the film that like the otherworldliness almost felt like a modern fairy tale, like the Mm -hmm. costuming and everything kind of gave us this modern fairy tale aesthetic, like with the puffy sleeves. And um, it was almost like a mashup of, of Victorian style with modern clothing styles. So one of my favorite outfits that Bella wears is, the white shirt with the puffy sleeves and the yellow shorts, her first day kind Mm. of adventuring out with um, Mark Ruffalo's character. His name escapes me now, but Duncan Wedderburn. Yes. (laughs) Um, 
And I just thought that there was a lot of creativity and I like that it wasn't just this period piece. I also really enjoyed the chimera animals in Mm -hmm. God's little workshop. So Mm -hmm. that was really fun. And I wish I could just walk around all of the sets and like explore all of the little details because that would be just so interesting. And a lot of the set was just built for the movie. Yeah. And that makes sense because, for example, Godwin's house is unlike any real functioning house yeah. that I think would exist because it has his laboratory and his weird living room where the floor is kind of like a padded wall mm-hmm. and all kinds of crazy stuff that suits his unconventional mad scientist lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put it in a cliche way, but I think his that original set that we're in, in his mansion for about like the, the first act of the film, I absolutely loved it. And I like that we were introduced to Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, and Max McCandles, played by Rami Youssef, and Godwin Baxter, played by the great Willem Dafoe. Um, I like that we were introduced to the rules of this world in that contained setting Mm -hmm. much in the way that Bella Baxter is introduced to the rules of the world because if we had started off like in Lisbon for example it would have been overwhelming and probably confusing Mm -hmm. seeing what the differences are in this alternate version of reality but it was so much easier to pick up on the nuance of what is different in this society and in this time period, this like fictional version of Victorian London, Mm -hmm. but also equally, if not more important, seeing what is consistent with our reality and our understanding of Victorian London. Because obviously the purpose of the film is to provide commentary on the nonsensical social norms Mm -hmm. um, for men and women, but especially for women. And I love that we just were in that incubator with Bella for a while to mm-hmm. kind of get a handle on what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think a major part of what makes the otherworldliness of the film work in a great way is the score, which was composed by Yerskin Fendrix. And I believe this was his first film score that he has ever written and performed. And I thought they did an incredible job. The score is unconventional in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but completely fitting to the tone and mood as it shifts throughout different scenes. And I loved how unconventional it was at times, but also how stirring and emotionally impactful it was in a more traditional sense Mm -hmm. for key scenes. So like in the finale of the film, the score reaches an amazing crescendo and incorporates a bunch of like choral elements. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I've been listening to it while I do work (laughs) and I just, I absolutely love it. It it was another thing this year that I was like, this is completely unique from other film scores that I've heard this year. And while there's been a ton of really great ones, there hasn't been one that sounded like this. Mm-hmm. And 
it complemented the the sheer originality of the setting and the performances in in an excellent way. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. The first time I watched it, one of the most salient feelings that I had was how energized and excited I felt at yeah. the end, at the close of the film. And I think the score is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling where I was like, I can lift 10 cars. This is <laughs> cinema. <laughs> this is what I'm always looking for uh-huh. when I sit down in a movie theater. Um, did you feel excited at the ending? Was there anything you took away at the finale of the film emotionally? Um, yeah. I mean, I liked, I don't know if I felt like, excitement, but I felt like it had an ending that I really liked and left the theater feeling nice and settled. And Mm. I like when a movie gives me that like nice closure for everyone. And I just felt like it, it had a happy ending and that's not something you always see, but yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, especially towards the end where Bella is kind of discovering things about her old life mm-hmm. and i was like oh no is this gonna end in like a really unsatisfying way for me mm-hmm. and it didn't and i just really enjoyed the just kind of lingering shots on people's faces at the very end and seeing how content everyone is and mm-hmm. that just felt really nice so i left the theater feeling just like it was a very pleasant film with a very pleasant ending. And that's how I want to feel yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. And I agree. I had no idea how it was going to end. I had no idea what was going to happen moment to moment, <laughs> True. which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being surprised. <laughs> and because this film was, you know, obviously an original story and operating in a unique world, I had even less of a of a guess about where things were going to go, mm-hmm. especially because we don't know a lot of the rules for like the scientific advancements that are possible in this world. And so just having the film be completely unpredictable and pairing that with the fact that a lot of Yorgos's films that I have seen don't exactly end happily, I really didn't know how things were going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And Yes, I absolutely loved the ending, and I just, I loved the whole thing. I absolutely loved it. I loved each segment. I love that it is segmented by location, essentially. So we start off in London, and then Bella Baxter and Duncan Wedderburg go to Lisbon, and they go to Alexandria and Paris, and we see different learnings and adventures unfold in these different settings. And we see Bella learn more and more and mature more and more as she takes on experience and wisdom in the world. And I thought it was a really fun way to segment the movie. And I particularly loved the interstitials that Mm -hmm. they used to set up each location. I thought those were gorgeous. Yeah. And also just such a unique choice, you know, like when films have that establishing text, which is often location-based, it mm-hmm. can be very plain and boring, but Yorgos 
even took the time in that like three second interstitial to show you a completely unique visual art piece mm-hmm. and that sets a tone and keeps you on your toes and keeps you feeling like this world is so foreign yet beautiful and captivating and piques your curiosity in a way that kind of keeps you in the same spirit as Bella because in a lot of ways curiosity is her driving force because Mm -hmm. she wants to learn about the world she wants to apply the empirical process to finding out what it is to be a human and to be a woman and to be a person and I just think no opportunity was wasted in any technical category of the film so like the costuming the score the uh, photography and the lenses and the interstitials like every opportunity was taken Mm -hmm. to show me something original that is thematically cohesive and I just think everyone deserves tremendous credit for that did you have a favorite scene that you found most enjoyable to watch most enjoyable uh I don't know because I had a lot of favorite moments, mm-hmm. but it, they weren't necessarily enjoyable. Okay. <laughs> but they were like emotional peaks for yeah. me. So, uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think one way to answer that is to talk about the performances mm-hmm. in a way, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Which were all excellent. Mm-hmm. I think this ensemble was incredible, really good. There were so many incredible performances. I already talked about Emma Stone and Defoe and Rami Youssef, who I think did an incredible job and he's not getting as much buzz. He played Max McCandles. Yeah, he was my favorite character. I fucking loved McCandles. He was my favorite too. (laughs) He was undersung, but absolutely essential. Yeah. And I enjoyed his performance immensely. I thought he had incredible, incredible emotionality and empathy. And I mean, I, the role of Max McCandles was just so essential. I absolutely loved it. Mark Ruffalo just absolutely shot for the moon and punched (laughs) straight through it. Like he just did such a good job being wild as hell. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I think they gave Mark Ruffalo all the best dialogue. <laughs> I was consistently laughing. The whole theater was consistently laughing at Mark Ruffalo's delivery mm-hmm. and his, the content of his dialogue, which I think is was just tremendous. Like, shout out Tony McNamara. You wrote some incredible dialogue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Willem Dafoe as Godwin, the paternal figure. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I always love him. I always think he does a great job. I particularly enjoyed this role for him because he got to be more like tender and paternal yes. than often his roles call for. And I thought he did a tremendous job with that. But I would say if, if I was wearing a heart rate monitor, <laughs> viewing this the first time, mm-hmm. probably either the peak or the second highest peak was when Christopher Abbott <laughs> arrived on the scene uh, in the wedding scene, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you know this is a Chris Abbott household. <laughs> He's in the holy trinity of Michael Shannon, Ben Mendelsohn, Chris Abbott. Mm-hmm. And when he arrived in the third act as Bella Baxter's former husband, I was just like, holy shit, I didn't know Chris Abbott was in this. <laughs> 
he's already crushing it the second he appears. And I was just like, I cannot wait to tell Will that Chris Abbott is in this movie. And I was so excited. And I think he really crushed his role too as the general. He did a tremendous job as always. But I would say uh, the highest peak heart rate was probably the finale. I just thought I loved how it capped everything off. It made me tremendously excited. And I guess it kind of is a bad example because you're just seeing how everything is being tied up. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going on excitement, I would say the finale. But if I'm going on uh, richness, I would say a lot of the conversations that Bella has with Godwin when she returns to London Mm -hmm. were Mm -hmm. really impactful for me. So I would say the when Bella confronts Godwin upon her return to London. Yeah. What's your favorite? Um, well, you know me. I love (laughs) a comedy and Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed pretty much any conversation that Bella was having with somebody she had just met. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when Bella is on the ship and she's talking to the old woman. Martha. <laughs> that conversation had me in tears. Yeah. For, like, three minutes. I was loving it. And I just, I think that's a perfect example of how Bella's imperviousness to social norms and judgment it's it's not even necessarily that people aren't trying to judge her. I think that people are, but her unwillingness to be judged or acknowledge judgment mm-hmm. brings out a more vulnerable side of other people, like in Martha, where she's like just giving details about her own sexual life and mm-hmm. they're hilarious and open. And I found it just really... I found those interactions really moving. And I also especially liked Bella's interactions with Max McCandles. Is that his mm-hmm. name? Um, in the beginning. And then also at the end, I think that they have like one of the most wholesome conversations I've ever seen on screen mm-hmm. where they're discussing expectations and whether or not she's still betrothed to him and he basically says well i have no expectations you were very young and he like acknowledges that there was kind of a taking advantage of her naivete at that point and there's just like a frankness in that conversation that i think is really lovely and i like that the conclusion that they come to And they have some, like, very funny, wholesome moments in that conversation. So I think it was Mm -hmm. those conversations for me that really stood out in my brain. Yeah, that's an excellent choice, too. I love the conversation with Martha. Every (laughs) moment with Martha was so funny. This entire movie is very funny. Yes. Very funny. And I love that you brought up the conversation with Max McCandles as they walk next to the river yeah. near the end. I loved that as well. Mm-hmm. And your characterization of it, I completely agree with. And it was such a, I don't know how to explain why I love it so much, but it represents a version of the world that I want to exist. Mm-hmm. And it represents a version of 
relationships and communication between people that I want to exist. And that is not something I see a lot in media. And so it scratches an itch that is often not satisfied. And I think that's one reason why this movie also stood out to me in contrast to, to other films this year. And also that lens effect is happening during that conversation next to the river. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really want to see that again when it comes out on VOD, um, because I think that really heightened the experience of that conversation as well, because you have just that beautiful focus mm-hmm. on these two people as they have this very intimate and important conversation. And I just, yeah, I love the delicacy with which each character is treated, whether they deserved it or not, in yeah. in the way they are portrayed in the film. Especially Godwin Baxter, because he could so easily be a villainous figure yes, or a despised exactly. figure, but he's treated with nuance and accountability and depth. Mm-hmm. And I I love that his his ending and his experience throughout was never something I was expecting. And they just took his character in a, in a really unique and way more rich and satisfying direction than they could have. Yeah. And I liked the aspect of Godwin in particular, of him trying to understand the things that his father did to him as a child mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. still processing that at such a late age. And realizing that he has done certain things to Bella that were kind of similar to his own experience as a child. And mm-hmm. I, I agree that his character like acknowledges mistakes and it takes accountability well. And I appreciated that. I think that Godwin had some of the most emotionally evocative scenes, especially, um, the, the last scene that we see Godwin in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that was the only time in the movie I felt like close to tears. And I think that that whole sequence represents an ability to forgive that we don't always see after people do questionable things. But I think that Bella was willing to forgive certain things because these were people that love her Mm -hmm. very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also allowed her to feel her rage at certain things as well, which I mm-hmm. really enjoyed as well. There were yeah. no like excuses being made. And right. I think that that was one of my favorite parts as well. Yeah. And I really liked how, um, the character of Godwin was consistently interrogating his own actions and behavior and motivations, mm-hmm. even in you know, as a an older person, he wasn't one of those people that behaves a certain way and doesn't think about why they do things. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, maybe I acted this way because of the treatment from my father or X, Y, or Z. And I really like that portrayal of sustained looking inward and trying to understand why you are the way you are and why you treat other people the way you do. And I think that sustained interrogation of relationships is definitely something he imparted onto Bella because she's constantly evaluating and interrogating 
why she's expected to behave a certain way mm-hmm. or why she's expected to relate to someone in a certain way as she's moving about the world. And that interrogation is essential to the film because it obviously points out many situations where the social norm makes no sense at all and is acting counter to Bella's interests. And I think the film does a good job of exposing that without hitting that note too hard, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it also shows an example of um, when people make the claim that they don't like to follow societal norms in a self-serving way. So for example, Duncan Wedderburn, when he first meets Bella, he talks about how he doesn't like polite society and kind of uses that as a way to form a connection with Bella. Mm-hmm. And we see eventually once they're out in the world together, he is often very critical of her behavior in public or in their relationship because she fails to conform to societal expectations. And so we see an example of a person who only says they don't agree with societal expectations when it suits them, not when they're actually applying it in an empirical way, the way Bella is. Mm -hmm. And I just think that was important to include because it shows that you can't just apply this at your selfish convenience, um, but that many people do. (laughs) Yeah. And I really liked Bella's interrogation of Wedderberg's motivation specifically because she doesn't shy away from saying like oh so you thought you'd just trap me on a boat huh yes you just didn't tell me where we were going and put me on a boat so that i couldn't escape you Mm -hmm. um i like her frankness and i don't know their interactions are very funny because of that yeah she emma stone gives an incredible performance and she drives the tone and like hits the Mm -hmm. tone of this movie so expertly because the dialogue very much has to be delivered in a certain way to seem believable, but also impactful, but also very funny. And she threads that needle incredibly. Mm -hmm. I think she's getting a lot of accolades, deservedly so, but I just feel like people aren't talking enough about how challenging the tone of this movie had to have been to perform. Yeah. I mean, I also can't, I can't imagine what it was like to film Bella Baxter in the way that most movies are filmed. I don't know about the sequence that they filmed this movie in, but a lot of films are filmed out of order. And I can't imagine like having to get into that like stage of growth Mm-hmm. out of order. I think mm-hmm. that we get to see a very, very smooth linear progression of Bella Baxter aging and maturing, but mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to hear if Emma Stone has anything to say about like the difficulty of getting into character and um, in terms of filming out of sequence. Yeah, I think that's a great question because obviously she had a huge physical element to this mm-hmm. performance that you wouldn't normally have because she's showing like motor development as her brain is developing. And that is a huge aspect of the early parts of her performance and throughout. I mean, Mm -hmm. she obviously keeps a lot of that motor element just less exaggerated as everything progresses. 
But yeah, I just, I agree. I think that must have been extremely challenging to make it appear like such a gradual, mm-hmm. natural maturation, but probably shooting it very much out of sequence. Yeah. Yeah, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about anything else that stood out to me. I particularly enjoyed the scene in Alexandria where Bella is grappling with poverty and violence in a region and feels like she is just helpless and can't do anything about it. I found that scene very resonant. I feel like with the way the world is today, I've been feeling that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is a universal experience that people just have to see tragedy and grapple with that and then pretend like they didn't see something terrible, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting part because her exposure to poverty and horrible inequality is framed by Gerard Carmichael's character, Harry, Mm -hmm. as sort of a a reason to be a pessimist or a, a cynic, I guess, in his case, because this is during a period on the boat where she's entertaining different philosophical schools, essentially, yeah. and he's in favor of cynicism. And I think that definitely her experience of what Harry is showing her definitely maps onto a lot of people's experience, including mine, of feeling extremely cynical based on the things they're seeing in the world. Mm -hmm. But she has to find a way to incorporate that into her wider philosophy without having cynicism eclipse Mm -hmm. her feelings about every aspect of the world. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that scene. Mm -hmm. And I like especially the conversation that they have afterwards, Harry and Bella, where I don't remember who initiates the conversation, but Harry apologizes because he acknowledges that he wanted to show her that so that she would be hurt in some way and that Mm -hmm. her innocence would be kind of shattered. And I think that that's another way in which the film values accountability of our actions and, yeah, just values the... The interrogation of one's own behavior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought that character was really interesting to me as well. I really liked Harry. I wish we'd seen even more of him interacting with everybody. Yeah, I feel like the boat sequence was slightly long, but I mm. really enjoyed the incorporation of Harry and Martha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess one other thing. I wanted to touch on just how amazing the dance sequence was. Oh, I believe yeah. it's when they were still in Lisbon, mm-hmm. but Bella kind of tries dancing to live music for the first time. And her physical performance, but Mark Ruffalo's physical performance, when he tries to kind of provide a traditional framework <laughs> of dance mm-hmm. around her completely non-traditional approach to dance and the mismatch between those things but also the like occasional confluence of those things was an incredible piece of physical acting and 
It's amazing. It was just amazing. Like, how did they do that? I don't know. Yeah. That is such an iconic scene and was very funny to watch, especially all the way through the end of that scene where Duncan, like, ends up getting into a fight with somebody. And Mm -hmm. I loved pretty much every aspect of that particular dinner that they're at. Mm -hmm. Really like But it was was just also a complete encapsulation of the larger theme of Mm -hmm. trying to contain natural expression and natural exuberance with the framework and the cage of tradition and rules and structure, but completely in just the language of dance. And I don't know, I just really love that resonance of the theme, even in something that was clearly a very comedic moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing too, that I think the movie does a really good job of showing is that Bella's oddness and the way that Bella navigates the world doesn't bother pretty much anyone. It no. does. It doesn't bother pretty much anyone except for Dun- Duncan, who wants yeah. to control her. And anyone who wants to control her is bothered by it. But just your general passerby is not even like giving a second glance. And I really liked that contrast. And because you would expect the other people to kind of be making fun or like giving stares, but really it just highlights how much Duncan is trying to control something that shouldn't be controlled. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Yeah. I mean, Bella's very adept at making friends. She gets invited dancing by Mm -hmm. some of the other people there and she obviously makes fast friends with Harry and Martha and she makes fast friends in Paris with some of her co-workers and she approaches things with such genuine uh, curiosity that uh, yeah the a conflict only really arises when Duncan is around and yeah. wants to trap and control her obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone's first boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> true yeah and we haven't even really touched on paris but i really enjoyed paris where she's working at the brothel i guess you would call it um i really enjoyed her progression and how she employs her communication to make things better for herself in that situation and i just really enjoyed that whole sequence yeah i thought that was really phenomenal and i love the conversation she has with the madam Mm -hmm. about why things are the way they are why is why are the rules this way would it make sense to do it a different way or i just love like her reasoning for taking that position in the first place Mm -hmm. and how it just made total sense she's like oh this is perfect yeah and yeah i love that i love paris as well and i think that also just made Duncan Wedderburn so unhinged <laughs> that his his performance went like to its highest heights mm-hmm. in that part when <laughs> he is talking to Bella and her friend as they're on their way to the communist or the socialist meeting. That was my favorite scene of his. Yeah, um, I cannot remember a single thing that he says, <laughs> but every time I'm watching it, <laughs> I'm just like. Mark Ruffalo is the funniest man alive, (laughs) and it's incredible. 
Yeah. He was really, I've never seen anything like that from yeah. him. He's so good. I can't wait to see a super cut of all of his <laughs> outbursts. Yeah. <laughs> Please, someone make that in the future. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that guy sucks. I mean, Mark <laughs> Ruffalo is amazing, but yeah. Duncan sucks. I know. And it's a testament to his performance that Whataburger is so thoroughly unlikable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What an ensemble. What a perfect movie. I could watch that a million times. Mm-hmm. It's very it rewatchable. I would say it held up extraordinarily on a second watch. Yeah. Scott really liked it. Will um, really liked it. He went with me the second time. Oh, nice. Awesome. And really liked it. Found it extremely funny as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he loved the the uniqueness of the visual style as well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I just, I really loved that film. I can't wait to see it again. I don't know when it'll be on streaming. I have no idea. Many months, probably. Who distributed it? Mm, I want to say Searchlight. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I have no idea where it will end up or when. Oh, I also just want to shout the credits sequence because I thought it was really beautiful and just a very different way to do the credits. Mm -hmm. Everyone's name was up there long enough that you could process it. And uh, it wasn't like reading moving text, which I don't enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And all You don't like the scroll? I don't like the scroll. And it was just (laughs) so different. I sat there through the entire credit sequence and enjoyed every second because it just had these beautiful backgrounds and... Mm -hmm. And you're hearing the beautiful score. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And that's just another thematically consistent element where they even had this in the... There's like a small credit sequence before the film started of Mm -hmm. just like a few, but... The way the text appears in the credits is as a frame mm-hmm. around the screen, so not a single, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos text in the center, but mm-hmm. it's Yorgos Lanthimos repeated along the top and the side and the bottom and the other side. And it's just like priming you with the question of like, why don't we do it this way? It doesn't have to be the other way. Mm-hmm. I can see it's Yorgos's film this way, and it's more visually interesting and there's nothing wrong with this way just because it's different from the yeah. way I'm used to seeing it. And so from the very like first second, you're primed with that sort of interrogation and being like, this is different and I like it and it's interesting. And why does it, why do people feel like it always has to be the traditional way? Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. It's wall to wall thematically consistent and that it, it spares no detail and. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was another thing I noticed that I was like, this is just, I mean, this is a a visual feast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so happy to have it. Man, I loved it. I was just really stunned by it. And then I went to watch A Killing of a Sacred Deer Mm -hmm. and (laughs) that I I like poor things a lot better. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to talk about (laughs) this in like the rankings of... Mm. Yorgos's filmography. I haven't seen all of his films, so I haven't seen Dogtooth or anything from before Dogtooth. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say by far, this is my favorite Lanthimos. Um, yeah. I respect all of his films. I think they're all excellent and unique and just show immense talent, but they don't always like 
hit me in a way where I'm like, oh, I really enjoyed that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But this one, I saw the the talent and the originality and the vision and the execution, and it made me excited, and it made me feel very thoughtful, and it made me feel like I was so happy the film existed. And yeah. so, to me, this is an absolute, like, the standout in his filmography. Yeah, I would like to watch The Lobster. I still haven't gotten around to that one, but... Mm-hmm. That's probably my second favorite, but it's definitely, like, way, way, way below Poor Things. Yeah, I just love Poor Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he already has another film that's slated to come out this year oh, with really? Emma Stone already, Kinds of Kindness. Oh. So, clearly, they, um, he and Emma Stone have a really excellent ongoing relationship, which is cool, because she was in The Favorite, which was his feature oh. before... Poor things, and they mm-hmm. also had a short film come out this year together, and she's also in Kinds of Kindness. So wow. clearly, they there's a siren. <laughs> clearly, they have something awesome going on. Yeah, yeah, I know that she gave some interviews recently that where she said that she just loved playing Bella Baxter so much and found it so rewarding that she just wants to play Bella Baxter all the time and doesn't want to do the normal part. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just, I mean, it speaks to how much she enjoyed working with uh, Lanthimos and Mm -hmm. working on this movie. But yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It was so good. Um, Yeah. More stuff like this, please, everyone. Yes. This is just (laughs) order. Put my order in for more of the same. (laughs) But still make it different and new. (laughs) Make it unique, just like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I said I would, um, if we retaped our top five of 2023, I would have slotted this in, I think, instead of Royal Hotel. Mm. Um, Would you have changed anything? Ooh, let me go back to my list. Yeah, I might slot it in there in place of Falcon Lake. Okay. So I think that was my... Either number five or number four. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible achievement. Yeah. So yeah, definitely go see it while it's still in theaters if you can, because yes. it is stunning and exciting and just very unique and hilarious. And hilarious. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.